Anyway, hey, I'm super excited to be with you guys today. Um, man, I just love, 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 love your pastor. I met Pastor Daniel, it was probably three or four years ago, and uh, man, it was just a... Uh, kind of a down season for us, kind of a transition season for us. And he just came in and was just crazy encouraging. He was such a godsend for us. And, you know, there's a scripture. Um, it's one of my favorite scriptures, honestly. It's John 1, 14. It, uh, it's talking about Jesus. And it says that he was full of grace and full of truth. And, uh, man, your pastor has just been that for me. He's been a voice of grace when I've needed it. And he's been a voice of truth when I've needed it. Like, hey, Justin, that's dumb. Don't do that. You know, he's... And to tell me that, and, and, you know, there's times where I've been down, and he's like, Justin, it's going to be okay, like, we're going to get through this, and, and he's just been that for me, and, and so I just want to honor your pastor and say, I'm sure you guys know this, but you have an incredible, incredible lead pastor, and I want you guys to just give it up for your pastor, you guys know that he's awesome, and... And, uh, man, again, just excited to be with you guys. I was here last summer, and uh, I guess I did all right. So they're like, hey, you can come back, you know. Uh, um, and so, man, it's just, again, it's just good to be with you guys. You know, um, recently my wife and I went through a, a, an experience, and it was unique, and we had never done it before. And uh, we, we bought a house. And if you've ever bought a house before, um, it's terrible. Like, I don't know why people do it. Um, I know why I did it. My wife made me do it. And so that's why we bought a house. But we went through this whole experience, and it was just not fun. Like, there was not a single part of it that I enjoyed. Um, we we um, put an offer on um, multiple houses, and we didn't get either of them, even though we went above asking. And, you know, we were one of six people, and, you know, it's the, there's just a lot of stress that goes with that. And we didn't get the first one, so we put an offer on the second one. We put more than asking on the second one. And, you know, my wife is talking about how, like, she sees our children being raised here, and they're going to climb that tree, and, you know, Jude is going to fall out of it because he's a maniac, and, you know, like, she's just, she's seeing it, and then, like, her hopes and dreams are crushed, and we didn't get it. And, uh, you know, I'm, like, trying to hold it together. I'm like, baby, it's going to be all right. God has a plan. You know, I'm trying to be full of faith. And uh, we just go back and forth, and finally we, we um, uh, put an offer on the house that we're in currently. We moved in about a month ago. And, um, you know, there's multiple rounds of negotiations, and then we go through, like, loan options and loan percentages, and, you know, then they make you sign, like, 41 pieces of paper, and I feel like I'm signing my life away, my children's future away, and their college fund away, and then it's the most money you've just ever spent in your whole life, and I'm just panicked, you know? I'm like, what if there's, you know, something terrible happens, and then they're trying to upsell you on all this, like, warranties and stuff, and you get all this junk mail, and it was just a stressful, stressful season, and uh, during that very stressful season, my wife and I got in a very um, passionate discussion, you know, <laughs> specifically about money. And so we're talking about money, and specifically it was about some loans. And it was, you know, we were making two different loan companies compete for our business because I'm like, man, I'm going to spend the most money I've ever spent in my life. I'm going to get a deal. Or at least I'm going to convince myself I'm getting a deal. Anyway, so we're arguing about, you know, these loan options and uh, there was, I can't remember the specifics of it, but basically we had a disagreement about the, the, some math that had to do with some of these loan percentages. It was something like, you know, this one's a half percent less than that one. And, and there was some math involved. And again, I don't remember the specifics, but I specifically remember how right I was and how wrong she was. And we go back and forth. I'm like, baby, like, this is not right. Like, this plus this equals this. Like, it was some, again, some math problem. And I was just dead set that I was right. And my wife very humbly was like, Justin, I don't think you're right. And so my wife is from Louisiana. And so I'm like, baby, do they know math in Louisiana? <laughs> like this plus this equals this. Like, 
I know you went to Catholic school with like 50 people. Do nuns not know math either? Like, I don't understand. So I'm just talking all kinds of trash because I was sure that I was right. And then my mother-in-law was in town, and so I got to talk trash to her too. It was awesome. I'm like, Do you, did you teach this girl math? And my, again, my wife's just so humble about the whole situation. And she goes, Justin, I just don't think you're right. Put it in the calculator. Put it in your phone. So I pull up the calculator on my phone. I, you know, this minus this equal, and I hit the equals. And then I realized the iPhone is broken too, and it doesn't know math. Like, people in Louisiana and iPhones can't do math. And, and I realized in that moment just how full of myself I was, how full of it I was. And I did, honestly, what any normal, rational human being did when they were adamantly that, you know, adamant that they were right about something, they were proven wrong. I just changed the subject. I was like, nah, you're right. Okay, moving on. You know, let's go about our day. We have things to do. And I just moved on as quickly as humanly possible and just skirted the whole thing. Um, later, you know, I admitted she was right, and I didn't apologize because, you know, all that stuff about Louisiana is true. They're not too smart. And so, I'm, I can say that. My wife's from there. If you're from Louisiana, that'd be weird if you were here and from there. But anyway, like, I'm sorry. But anyway, in that moment, though, I realized I was just full of myself. I was just so confident, so, and I was just wrong, wrong as can be. And, uh, you know, so it just got me thinking about how full of ourselves we can be and how full of it we can be. And my, my question for you today is, what is the it that you're full of? Full of it is the topic to my message today. And what is the it that you're full of? Because Jesus said this passage uh, in, in Luke 6.45, it says this. It says, a good person out of the good of his heart, out of the, out of the treasure of his heart produces good. An evil person out of the evil treasure of his heart produces evil. And what Jesus is describing is what we see in, in this analogy is this. It's if water is in this bottle, well, water is going to come out of this. If coffee is in this bottle, coffee is going to come out of it. Because only what is in this can come out of this. And it doesn't matter how much I pray. It doesn't matter how much I worship. It doesn't, mean, it doesn't matter how long I sing about chains breaking. I love that song, by the way. It doesn't matter how much I sing and dance and scream and yell and pray and fast. Only, I'm only getting water out of this. Why? Because water's in this. And what Jesus said is this truth is what's in you is going to come out of you. What's in you is going to come out of you. And it doesn't matter what you want, it to, what you want to come out of you. What's, what's, let me say it this way. What's in your heart is proven by what comes out of your mouth. What's in your heart is proven by what comes out of your mouth. Your mouth is kind of just the truth teller of your heart. It just, it just shows, every, it displays for the world around you what's in you because what's in you is going to come out of you. And what a lot of us has done, you say, well, that's not always true because there's a lot in me that don't come out of me. Thank you for that. You have a filter on your mouth. We all do. Um, but what we've done is we've tightened the lid on our mouth to keep what's in our heart from coming out. We've gotten really good at tightening the lid on our mouth. Well, I shouldn't say that. That's not good. And that's mean. And that's not right. And that's negative, And that's, you know, God, I'm sure God wouldn't be too happy if I said that. But see, ultimately, with enough pressure, what is in this is going to come spewing out of this. You ever heard someone say, like, they just say something kind of off the cuff or just kind of crazy and say, oh, that's not my heart. I didn't mean it. 
No, 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 that is your heart. You just didn't like what came out. For example, if I, I would never do this, but if I, if I were to just cuss you out, I just lay into you, left, right, up, down. I'm just letting you have it. I'm mad about something, and I just go off on you, go crazy. Then I finally calm down, and I'm like, ooh, sorry about that. That wasn't my heart. I just didn't mean it. No, no, that is my heart because it came spewing out of my mouth. And that's what Jesus is telling us, that, that this is just the reality. What's in you is ultimately going to come out of you, and what's in your heart is proven by what comes out of your mouth. So what's coming out of your mouth? For some of us, it's, it's anger. For some of us, it's lust. For some of us, it is good. It's faith. It's love. It's kindness. It's, it's joy. But again, what, what's coming out of you is a byproduct of what's in you. And this kind of, you know, I've, um, one of the negatives about being a communicator and a speaker is when you like, communicate something like this, you hear yourself all the time. Like, I've been, you know, I've uh, done this message once, a couple times before, and I'm just like regularly messed with about this. My wife and I, uh, yesterday, got in another passionate discussion. We don't argue much, just lately, I guess. Um, and so, you know, we just dis had a disagreement. It was nothing big. It was just a disagreement about something. And, and I just realized how much this is true. I said something stupid, and I was like, well, I said that because that's in me. And this, this message has been challenging me. I hope it challenges you. Because, you know, this year I've been, I've been working on some stuff. And uh, at the beginning of every year, I, I pray, prayerfully consider just something to focus on, something to get better at. And this year for me, uh, God gave me the word gracious, to be more gracious. Uh, my personality, I can be kind of black and white and just like I'm very justice oriented, kind of just say what's on my mind. And, and uh, so that's me. And so I know that about myself and at times it can be harsh. And so I'm working on it. I'm working on being gracious with my thoughts, gracious with my speech, gracious in my interactions with people that I just want to give people grace because that's what God has given me. So I've been working on it. And uh, we're a couple months into the year and I just noticed that I'm not as far along as I'd hoped. I just wasn't as far as long as uh, far as far along as I had hoped, and I was praying about it one day, and I was like, God, you know, like, I know you give me this word to be more gracious. I feel like I've been trying. I feel like I'm working on it. Why am I not seeing the progress that I hoped I would? And, you know, I've gotten some better, but not. I'm just not as far along as I had hoped. And he he's you know just felt like in my heart, God said, Justin, the reason you're not as far along with your words and with your actions as you want to be. Is because you're simply trying to control what's coming out of your mouth instead of changing what's in your heart. I'm just trying to, oh, I don't want to say that, and I don't want to do that, and I don't want to see if I'm ever going to um, give grace to you, I have to think graciously about you. Meaning, like, if, I, if only negative things about you is coming out of my mouth, it's because I think negative things about you all the time. If I change what I think about you, if I change what I believe about you, what I believe about you, what I think about you would come out. And it would be what God wants it to be. If I want to, to talk in a grace-filled way, if I want to live a grace-filled life, I have, to have, I have to be full of grace. And so I ask myself this question, what does God want us to be full of? For me, I'm working on, I'm working on grace, working on grace. And uh, so there's this passage in 1 Corinthians 13. It says this at, at the end, 1 Corinthians 13, 13. It says, now these three things will last forever. It says, faith, hope, love, and the greatest of these is love. It says, these three things will last forever. And so I just want to talk to you today with the three things that are going to last forever that I believe that God wants us to be full of. He wants us full of faith, full of hope, full 
of love, full of faith, full of hope, and full of love. You start with the, the, the first one, faith. God wants us full of faith. Why does God want us full of faith? Scripture would say that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to be in a relationship with God. Faith is the foundation in which God is asking us to build our lives on. That's what God wants you to do. Make faith the foundation you build your life on. Why? Because that's like we have an example in God that God is a God of faith. And this is how he built everything that we see. In Hebrews 11.3, it says this. It says, by faith we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command. And, now, and what we see now didn't come from anything that can be seen. God's a God of faith. It says that he built the entire universe by faith at his command. And what he's asking us to do is build our lives on the foundation of faith. Make faith what you build your life on. And, you know, um, Romans 10, 17 says this. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. So you can say it this way. Faith comes by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. If you and I are going to be people of faith, we have to be people of God's word. There's no way around it. See, you can't have an occasional relationship with scripture and have a consistent faith. Does that make sense? You can't occasionally sometimes on Sunday morning while someone's communicating it to you and you read it on the screens. If this is the only time you read scripture, I'm glad you're here. We're so glad you're here. We're so excited that you're getting God's word in some way. But you can't have a consistent faith with an occasional re uh, relationship with scripture. That's why sometimes it feels low and sometimes it feels up. And there's this kind of roller coaster because you can't have this life of faith without having a life built on God's word. So why is this book so important? Why, why faith and why, why is the Bible so important? Why is it such a big deal? Let me just read a couple promises, a couple thoughts from Scripture. In John 6, it says that the Bible says it contains the words of life that are able to save your soul. Why is this book a big deal? Man, it contains words that will save you. Psalm 119 says it's a light that directs your path. James 1 says it's like a mirror that shows you who you really are and it helps you from being deceived. And Luke 11 says you're blessed when you do what it says. And John 8 says it's where you find truth that can set you free. Why is this Bible a big deal? I don't know, but that's just five things really quickly that, man, I need some direction. I need some freedom. I need some uh, help not being deceived. I want to know the truth. Like, man, you got to find, you got to find that in God's word. But it seems like lately... And it's, it's honestly not new, like it's always been happening. It's been happening ever since Genesis. But it seems like the Bible's just been under a lot of attack lately. And again, it's not anything new, it just feels new because of social media. But um, the Bible just seems like it's so under attack. When you know, People will say all kinds of things, you can't trust the Bible, and it's this, and they have all these accusations against the Bible, all the reasons why. And the, one of the biggest ones, you can't trust the Bible, it's so old. My grandma's old. I trust my grandma. Just because it's old doesn't mean it's bad. That's a, that's a pitiful argument. It's a terrible, oh, it's so old, it's so outdated. There's all these errors. And people say all kinds of stuff. You know, I'm kind of a simple person. You know why I trust the Bible? You know why I trust God's word is God's word? Because I've seen it come to pass in my life. When God says that he will that he'll provide for you, as, as you're generous, that God will provide for you, I've seen him do that. I've seen God just answer prayer. I've seen God uh, fulfill promises. When he says, it says he'll never leave you nor forsake you. I've been in difficult situations, and I've felt him be closer than a brother like scripture would say. 
Time after time after time, I've just seen the Bible come to pass. But there's another reason I, I believe that, that the Bible is God's word. Uh, and it's this. It's, the Bible is what we call, uh, it's prophetic. A lot of the passages is prophetic. What's that mean? It means that God many times will predict the future. And God will predict the future hundreds of years before it would happen. He would tell us something was going to happen and then it would happen. And it's prophetic in nature. It tells us what's going to come, then we get to watch it come. And did you, I don't know if you guys know this, I'm kind of a Bible nerd, but um, there are over 350 specific different times that the Bible told us something about Jesus or the Messiah, and then Jesus fulfilled it. And most of these things happened hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years beforehand. Some of these scriptures and promises about Jesus are so specific that you couldn't make it up. You couldn't, no one could have made it happen. No one could, there's so many of, of these things, and I'm going to read some of them to you, but there's so many of them that Jesus himself couldn't have made them happen. They're absolutely impossible. And the Bible just gives, the Bible, because it tells us what's going to happen, then we watch it happen, gives me so much faith in everything else that God said. I'm just going to read a couple of them to you. It says this in Isaiah 7, it says that uh, Jesus would be born of a virgin. It says that Jesus would be born of a virgin. And, and we, we see that in, you know, the, the, the promise of that is impossible. Virgins don't give birth. No matter what the teenager told you. That happened once. It took a little bit. There you go. Virgins don't give birth. Another one, it says that he would be born in Bethlehem. His parents were from Nazareth. And for us, that's not a big deal, but that was over 100 miles away. They had no reason to be in Bethlehem, but God said they would be in Bethlehem. That's where Jesus would be born, and then he fulfilled it. It also says there would be this tragedy in Jeremiah 21 that a massacre, uh, Jeremiah 31, that a massacre of children would happen around the time that Jesus was born. It also says that he would give sight to the blind. It also says that he would teach in parables in Psalm 78. It says that he would enter Jerusalem riding on a donkey in Zechariah. It says that he would be sinless. Pull that one off. How, how, do you, how do you do that? Like God said it would happen. Then it happened. Psalm 41 says that he would be betrayed by a friend. We know that friend to be Judas. It also says that he would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. When Zechariah wrote that, that was 500 years before it happened. 500 years. Like Christopher Columbus was barely sailing the ocean blue 500 years ago. America wasn't here 500 years ago, but Zechariah is telling us how much money would be given to, be, to betray Jesus. That's crazy. In, uh, in Numbers uh, 21, it says that he would be crucified. That specifically was written 1,300 years before it happened. 1,300 years. Let me say that, let me, some nerdy facts. Crucifixion was not even invented yet. Crucifixion was invented by the Persians around 300, 400 B.C. A thousand years before that, Scripture told us that Jesus would be crucified. Psalm 22 says that, his nail, that they would pierce his hands and pierce his feet. Why do I trust this book? Because I believe it's God's word because no one could pull that off. Nobody could pull that off. It says also that, that he would be spit on, his beard would be ripped out in Isaiah 50. It says that when they brought before, before his accusers that he would be silent. Psalm 22 says they would divide his garments, cast lots for his clothes. Zechariah 12 says that his side would be pierced. 
And it just goes on and on and on. It says that he would be crucified with criminals. His bones wouldn't be broken in Exodus 12. It says that he'd be buried with the rich. You can't control who you're buried with. Body wouldn't rot because in Psalm 16, because he would be raised from the dead. You can't pull that off. Psalms 24 says that he would ascend into heaven. Why do I trust the Bible? Because nobody could pull that off but God. Nobody could pull that off but God. No, no one could tell you all of it. And that was just like 20 of 358. 20 of 358. And you should have some confidence in this book because I believe that God wrote it. And he, we, we have confidence that he wrote it because of everything that he said, it's coming. Jesus fulfilled it. He, he, it happened. It came to pass. And here's my encouragement for you. If God could say all of that and Jesus fulfill every single one of them, can't you trust his promises to you when he says that he'll provide for you, when he says that he'll protect you, when he says that he'll never leave you, he'll never forsake you, when he says that he'll forgive you, when he says that he'll stick closer to you than a brother, when he promises it, you and I can trust it. We can trust God's character and we can trust his word. We can trust it. I've seen it and I pray that you see it too. You've seen it in your life. We can believe God's word. We can trust God's character. He wants you full of faith. That that's the foundation you build your life on. The second thing, he wants you full of, is full of hope. He wants you full of hope. And, and hope is kind of tricky and hope is kind of messy because hope involves our emotions. Hope involves our hearts. And a lot of times, uh, we define hope differently than the Bible defines hope. Hope biblically, you could say it this way, hope biblically is a confident expectation, excuse me, a joy-filled expectation of good. A joy-filled expectation that good is coming. A joy-filled expectation that good is coming. When, when he says, you know, these three things abide, faith, hope, and love, that word hope, again, it's a joy-filled expect, confident expectation of good. It's not this wish that, you know, we've made it more of like a wish. Well, I wish it'll happen. I hope it'll happen. And I hope that'll happen. I hope that'll happen. Biblical hope is a confident, joy-filled expectation of good. That's what God wants you full of. He wants you full of hope. But the reason this is tough is because all of us have a story of there was a time that we hoped something had happened and it didn't happen. You know, I'm not going to stand up here and pretend that nothing bad has ever happened in my life, that I've never been through tragedy, that I've never hoped for something and it didn't happen. That's true. But let me, that's true. But if we see things through the eyes of hope, that's part of the story. That's not the end of the story. That's a chapter. That's not the end. That's part two. That's not the conclusion. And what we see with God is God is incredible at redeeming things. God is incredible at turning bad things around and making them good. God is incredible at taking what the enemy planned for harm and turning it around for his good. God is incredible at redeeming things. I think the guy who could tell us that most is this guy in the Old Testament. His name is Job. If you don't know Job's story, I'll just recap it for you. Job was, life was good for Job. He had a family, he had a, you know, kids, he had a marriage that he loved. You know, everything was good for him. He had uh, financial blessing. Everything was good for Job. And then one day, not everything, like nothing was good for Job. Tragedy struck Job. And it says that there was this accident and his children were killed in an accident. 
It says that there was this crazy storm and another accident, and all his livestock were killed. So he lost his family, lost his finances in, in one day, and then soon after that, he ends up getting sick, and he has this crazy skin disease, and there's boils all over him. He's in severe pain, and he's miserable. At the peak of all that, his wife looks at him and says, why don't you just curse God and die? Tells him to commit suicide. And you're like, Thanks, babe. Glad I picked you. you know? Such an encouragement. And then on top of that, his friends hear about the tragedy that struck him, and Job's stressed out and in obvious pain. So his friends go to, to hang out with him, and they start out right. They kind of just sit with him and mourn with him and cry with him. And then by the end of it, his friends are looking at him and saying, what would you do that made God so mad that he did all this to you? Those are some good friends. Join that e-group, you know? <laughs> Thank God we don't have groups like that here. But, I mean, they're just sitting with him. They're all saying, well, it's your fault, Job. What would you do that made God so mad? But in the middle of all that, Job has this beautiful thing that he says. And he has this perspective that you and I have to have if we're going to be filled with hope. And it says this in Job 19. It says, but as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. Job, in the middle of tragedy, in the middle of crazy mourning, in the middle of a crazy, like you and I haven't been through anything compared to this type of persecution and stress and problems. And his world falls apart. In the middle of that, he says, but as for me, my Redeemer lives. And he says this, and, and he, my Redeemer, will stand on the earth at last. And it says, and I will see him. He says, and I am overwhelmed at that thought. Job had a different perspective. Job uh, looked at the world through the eyes of hope. That hope was the lens that he just saw the world through. That he didn't see the, the world through his tragedy. He didn't see the world through the problem. He didn't see the world through what happened to him. He just looked and said, God is a redeemer and I know he's alive. And even though this looks tragic and even though this is miserable, even though this is full of pain and, and heartache, I know that what I'm going through is not the end of the story because I have a joy-filled expectation that God can redeem it. But if we're going to have our hope grow, see, hope grows when you change what you focus on. Hope grows when you change what you focus on. If you're focused on the problem, if you're focused on the negative, if you're focused on the, the pink slip from work, if you're focused on the cutbacks at work, if you're focused on what, what the argument said and, and you know, what you and your wife were arguing about, if you're focused on the negative, if you only see the negative, if you only see the situation, and you never look up and see your Savior, you can't have hope. Hope is found in about a 45-degree angle. Are you looking down at your problem, or are you looking up at your Redeemer? Because you you'll struggle to have hope looking at your problem, but you can have a joy-filled expectation of good when you look in the face of Jesus. When you see him, what's impossible with him? When you see him, he can redeem it, he can turn it around. It doesn't mean that everything in your life is good. It means that he turns it around and uses it for good. He takes bad and turns it into something good. The last thing he wants you full of, full of faith, full of hope, full of love. You know, when it comes to being full of love, I found it's easier, not easy, easier when you do the first two. 
If I have a life that's full of faith, I have a life that's full of hope, it's easier for me to love you. Why? Because I don't look at you as the problem in my story. I look at you and I just see that God God is at work in my story and I can love you knowing that it doesn't matter what you do because I trust God to work it out. Meaning you could be talking bad about me at work and I still get promoted because you don't hold my future. God does. Like God is bigger than you. God is bigger than the negative. God is bigger than the bad report. God is, God is bigger than all of it. And I can, ha- I can treat you with love if I have hope and faith in God. You know, uh, two weeks ago I did, I did a wedding. And I've only done a couple weddings in my life. Honestly, I don't think I'm very good at them. So if you want to get married, find someone here. I'm sure they're much better at these things than me. But I did a wedding. Thank God it was for my cousin. You know, family kind of lets you practice on them. And so I was practicing and you know, doing this wedding, and uh, I read this kind of famous, like, marriage scripture when I, when I was there, and uh, it's 1 Corinthians 13. It's a very famous, like, you know, love is this, love is this, love is this, and um, when I was, when I was uh, preparing for the ceremony, I was like, oh, you know, this is a great scripture. This will encourage the new couple, and, uh, but it just hit me as I was standing there, and I was reading the passage to this new couple, beautiful dress and kind of ugly suit, and... <clears throat> It's my cousin, you know, she's going to get married, you know, anyway. And so um, I'm reading this passage of this couple, and I was like, man, this is really cute, but this is really hard to do. The first Corinthians 13, 4 through 8 would say this. It says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy, it doesn't boast, it's not arrogant, it's not rude. It does not insist on its own way, it's not irritable, it's not resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, it rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. Love never ends. And another pastor would say, love never fails. And that's cute at a wedding. That's a hard lifestyle. And I was look. I didn't say this. I kind of wanted to. I thought about it because it was my cousin. You know, I'm trying things out. Um, I wanted to say it, but I didn't say it. I wanted to read that passage and say, soon the honeymoon will be over, and this will go from cute to being a daily choice. A daily choice to put the other before yourself. A daily choice to sacrifice. A daily choice to surrender. A daily choice to fall on your face before God and say, God, I need some patience. I need some kindness. God, I'm irritable. I'm frustrated. I'm angry. God, help me to walk in love the way that you do. Help me not to be jealous or rude or boastful or proud. God, I need your grace in my life to live this life of love that you've called me to. It's cute at a wedding. It's a hard lifestyle. So what would it look like, though, if you and I walked in love? Let's just walk through this passage really quickly, and we'll be done. What would it look like if you and I were patient with each other? If you're a parent in here, you need some patience. Because the the byproduct of being a parent is if you're a parent, they come with children. That's how the deep thoughts here today, folks, deep thoughts. (laughs) If you're a parent, that means you have children, and children, you need lots of patience if you're going to have some children. I love my daughter to death. Her name is actually Hope. Love, love her to death. Love her to death. She's my buddy. We go everywhere together. Love her to death. But she is a sloth. <laughs> she is the slowest person I have ever met in my life. Like, we go to the zoo. I'm like, sweetheart, that's you. You are the sloth in that cage. <laughs> 
There's like fu green fungus growing on her back because she's so slow. She's slow. And you would think by like threatening her life, like she would speed up. But like, no, like if you're in a hurry, she kind of turns back the clock. Like, baby, it's time to go. It's time to go. It's time to go. She's like, really? You know, I got to go to the bathroom. Like, oh, my God. So I do this new thing. I just pick her up and carry her everywhere I go. Like, that's what I do. Like, we're in a hurry. Like, get in the car. I just throw her back there, throw her some food, throw some clothes at her. She goes everywhere in her underwear. It's fine. It's okay. But your girl's just a sloth. She's so slow. And if you're going to be a parent, you just have to have some patience. But what if I was actually patient with her? What if I was kind? I was just kind. What if you and I, we were just kind people? That kindness marked us. What if we were never jealous? I'll tell you this, if we were never jealous, we'd probably be in a lot less debt. If we didn't have to keep up with anyone, I was never jealous of you. I was excited for you. What if I was never arrogant? What if I was never rude? What if I never insisted on my own way? We said, well, it's just, you know, my personality, I'm very particular. I have to have things my way, and it's got to be very specific and very particular, and I just, I just have to have it my way. Let me say this. Don't ever use your personality as an excuse for something dysfunctional. I know that's how you are, but why not just be like Jesus? Why not pursue being like him? He can change how you are and you can walk in love and you don't have to insist on your own way. What if it could be their way? For everyone who's married in here, <laughs> you got to work on not insisting on your own way. Things go better when we don't demand our own way. We're not irritable. We're, what if... What if we never gave up on people? What if we were so full of love that we did this? You might say, Justin, that's impossible. No, no one can do that. I, I think, it, yeah, I hear you. But Romans 5.8 says this. It says, while we were yet sinners, Christ demonstrated his own love for us, that he died for us. He demonstrated love to us. He poured out his love in us so that we can walk in love with those around us. It's a supernatural thing. It's a God-dependent thing. You can't do it, and that's the whole point. The life that God has called you to live, it needs him to be involved in it. You have to be dependent upon God to do what he's asking you to do. You can't walk in love without a relationship with God. And that's what he's asking. So I'm done with this thought. How do you change what you're full of? If God wants you full of faith, full of hope, full of love. And we said at the beginning that, man, what's in you is going to come spewing out of you. With enough pressure, with enough stress, your heart is exposed because it comes out of your mouth. How do you, how do you change it? You know, if you want to change your actions, it's simple. Change your words. If you want to change your words, it's simple. Change your thoughts. If you want to change your thoughts, it's simple. Change what you put in you. Change what you're pouring into. Change, instead of feeding on binge-watching Netflix, feed on God's word. Be here. Be here early. Be here committed. Worship big. Pray big. That's how you change what's in you. You change what's in you by letting God pour in what he wants. Because you only have so much room for so much stuff, and the anger in you just comes out when you pour in God, when you pour in what he wants, when you pour in worship, when you pour in prayer, when you pour all that in, that, that junk just comes out. Spend time with God, and he'll change your heart. Let me pray for you today. Father, we just love you. God, we're grateful for your word. Father, I just pray that you accomplish your word in our hearts today. God, that faith would just be the foundation we build our lives on, that hope would be the lens we see the world through. 
that love would just come out of us. In Jesus' name. If you could keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. If you're in here this morning and, you know, the last part I was talking about, that, that God demonstrated his love for you. While you are far from him, he pursued you. He gave you his life. If you're in here this morning and you want to make a decision to follow Jesus, I'm going to ask you to do something simple. I'm not going to embarrass you or have you come forward or anything like that. I just want you to do something simple. Just lift up your hand if that's you. You say, today I'm surrendering my life to Jesus. He loved me and I want to surrender my heart to him. If that's you, real quick, just lift up your hand right now. If that's you, lift up your hand. I see you. I see you. Is there anyone else? Are you saying, today I'm giving my life to Jesus? Amen. Let's all pray together. Why don't you repeat this with me? Say, dear Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I believe that you're God's son and that you died for me. And I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen.